Hello and welcome to Lakes Chat. I'm your host, Jennifer Caddick with the Alliance for the Great Lakes. On today's Lakes Chat episode, we're taking your questions about our Great Lakes policy agenda. In our last episode, we talked with Don Jodry, the Alliance's Federal Government Relations Director in Washington, D.C. We chatted with him about our top five policy priorities for Congress and federal agencies. That agenda includes requests on water infrastructure, plastic pollution, invasive species, agriculture, and Great Lakes restoration. And at the end of that episode, we asked for your questions. And on February 15th, several of the Alliance's policy experts joined me for a live webinar conversation to answer those questions. And we're sharing that conversation here today. You'll hear from Joel Bremeyer, Alliance for the Great Lakes President and CEO, Crystal M.C. Davis, the Alliance's Vice President for Policy and Strategic Engagement, and Don Jodry joins us again. The chat covers a wide range of issues. I hope you enjoy the conversation and thank you for sending us so many great questions. Um, I think I'll start off, uh, a couple of people submitted questions in advance online, um, asking about climate change and where that factors into our federal priorities and why it isn't necessarily called out as a specific issue. Um, so Joel, maybe I'll start with you and you can explain our thinking on how climate change fits into this list of priorities. Thanks, Jen. Yeah, uh, climate change is a critical issue for the Great Lakes uh, in a couple of ways. One, of course, is the fact that we, we need to reduce carbon in the atmosphere and change the way that we produce energy. And, and we're a water group, so that's not we support efforts of our allies and don't engage a lot in the energy world. But climate change is having a huge impact on the quality of the Great Lakes right now. And anybody who see, you can see that, whether you're looking at a farm field being flooded, whether you're looking at a street in a city or town being flooded, you're seeing the impacts of coastal storms eroding land uh, and damaging property. Uh, and, and more and more that, I'm not, that I you know, can't even get into today. Um, so climate, the principles of being becoming a Great Lakes that is resilient, can adapt to climate change is a reality we have to face for the next 100 years. Unfortunately, a lot of those changes and impacts are baked into the Great Lakes. They're already doing harm and they're going to be with us for a while. So and you know, what I want to emphasize is that climate resilience and the need to have all of our policy work based rooted in policies that can protect the Great Lakes for the next 100 years are, are it's, it, it that thread runs through everything we do. And I'll give you an example. Don mentioned the Great Lakes Coastal Resili Resiliency Study, which is a really long name and it ends in the word study, which can sound really boring. But the reality is, is that our, our coastlines are getting hammered by the impacts of extreme storms and the, that those extreme streams and unpredictability in lake levels is only going to get worse. We've got to be figuring out how to do better to build and restore shorelines, especially using natural infrastructure that can actually be resilient to the changing water levels that lots of you, I'm sure, are seeing uh, in, in the lake where you, that you live closest to. Um, that starts with getting our federal government's attention on what's possible here in the Great Lakes so we can focus on investments and policies that can actually shift how we treat our shorelines. And so projects like the Great Lakes Coast, Coastal Resiliency Study are a good example of, of one way, one of many ways that are needed to actually uh, start to, for, for our regions to, to start leading on adapting to the realities of climate change. So I'll stop there, Jen. Happy to answer more specific questions on that, that if they come up. Yeah, thanks, Joel. Um, 
I'll stick with you for just a minute, Joel, and Don might want to chime in on this too. We have a couple of questions about uh, invasive carp. Um, and, you know, Don touched briefly on that, but there's a question in the chat um, and then also one we received online. So I'll kind of combine those. Um, you know, the first question is, uh, you know, what are the prospects of some of the other Great Lakes states stepping in to help Illinois um, with that effort? But I think the the starting question here is um, asking about te what technological advances have been made um, over and above the physical barriers, meaning the electronic fences in the rivers that connect the Mississippi River to Lake Michigan at Chicago. Um, and are there better solutions? Are there better solutions that just need the funding to get implemented? Which gets back to that question of will the other states um, uh, pitch in? So Joel, could you tackle that issue? Sure. Um, on the on the technology side, if I understand the question correctly, the the idea what, what's going to happen at the Brandon Roadlock and Dam and what's being designed right now is a series of technologies. So electricity, sound, uh, bubbles, uh, water movements, all of which combine to make it very difficult for a live organism to get through uh, that lock and into the Great Lakes watershed. And so that's the idea. It's sort of a gauntlet of technologies that's being built. So there is a lot of R and D going into that. Uh, and um, that's the, 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 the best way that we can get built as quickly as possible to actually dramatically reduce the chance that anything living can get through that and into the Great Lakes. On the, fi on the funding side, um, we were really pleased this year that the, that the, um, federal, uh, the federal share of the construction of the project was actually increased to 90%. That was another big legislative win that we're proud of. And I saw just the other day that um, the state of Michigan continues its commitment uh, to providing matching funds for construction. I saw that um, Governor Gretchen Whitmer allocated in her budget allocated, I think it was a little over $80 million for supporting construction of the Brandon Road project, which is really exciting to see. So that's the next big step is getting the Great Lakes states together to actually contribute to the cost of construction. Uh, and that's our that's our next big task for, for 2023, not in Washington, but here in the region. Thanks, Joel. Um, I'll stick with invasive species and, and uh, send this over to you, Don. Um, there is a question which you touched briefly on, but maybe you could explain where things stand um, in regards to ballast water regulations. I know the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is in a process right now of potentially reviewing some regulations um, to cover, uh, and I know we want them to cover things like Lakers. So explain a little bit about that Laker issue and where you see things heading in Washington in the next year or two on that ballast water issue. Well, yes, thanks. Uh, yes, EPA is developing regulations. They issued draft regulations during the Trump administration that were not um, effective at preventing the spread of an invasive aquatic species. And they um, also exempted Lakers, which are the ships that traffic solely in the Great Lakes from those regulations. So they weren't going to touch, I think it's 90% of the traffic that uh, transports ballast water is by Lakers. Um, we have commented multiple times, we've had stakeholder meetings with EPA and our partners urging EPA to uh, issue more stringent regulations. Um, they haven't done so, uh, but they have committed to putting out uh, additional information um, to clarify how they would go about regulating uh, ballast water. So we don't really know yet, we're in kind of a wait and see mode and we're hoping to see something this year. Um, a couple of groups have sued EPA to try to get them to move faster. And we're not sure if that's going to be effective, but we're still in a waiting mode and we will be commenting again on 
whatever draft EPA puts out in 2023. I, can I add one thing on that too, is that the, the Canada actually has started is signaled, not just signaled, but actually put in rule that it will begin regulating freshwater ships. Um, I think by 2030, I can't remember the exact date. And so we're asking our US federal government to actually step up and, and match what our, our partners uh, uh, on, the, on the international border are doing. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Joel. They did that last year and EPA is well aware of it, but you're right. They, Canada is gonna regulate labor traffic. And so hopefully EPA will follow suit. Um, switching over to infrastructure, uh, Crystal, I'll ask this question of you um, and then others could chime in if they want. Um, uh, William Porter asks, uh, is the Alliance assisting Great Lakes communities with best practices regarding replacement of lead service lines? And I know we don't work in like, line by line replacement, but there is some big picture efforts here that you touched on briefly. So maybe you could talk more about that. Sure. Thanks for the question. What we are doing is the SRF Advocates Forum and table that we've worked collaboratively with a number of organizations to pull together has some representation from frontline communities where we're able to have an information sharing process to talk about what's working in one state versus another and what's working in one community from another. And so we're starting to have more of an exchange uh, amongst people from across the region and across the country, actually, with that table. And then we're also working to build relationships with organizations that are working on the ground and exploring different types of materials that they are using and rating materials so that we can provide opportunities to share that information from community to community as well. That's great to hear that there's such uh, collaboration across the region. Can you explain um, for folks who might not understand what SRF means and, and why that's important in the, in the big picture here? I saw Joel un unmute. I, did I miss something? Go ahead. The State Revolving Fund is the main gateway for federal funds to get to community to address some of our water infrastructure challenges. So this is the, the main gateway, the main big bucket of funds that's coming from the federal government to address our water infrastructure needs. And we know there is a proliferation of issues uh, centrally lo located right here in the Midwest. We know that the highest number of lead service lines is in Illinois and number two is Ohio and three is Michigan and goes on, but it's right here centrally located in the Midwest. And so it's definitely a priority for our organization. Thanks, Crystal. Um, I'll tackle just two super quick questions in the chat. Uh, we have somebody who wants to know more about the backgrounds of our fabulous speakers. Um, they can find that at greatlakes.org. Uh, visit the about section and we have bios of all of our amazing staff. Um, and then we also have somebody else who says that they are a newly certified scuba diver, which is awesome. And they're looking for underwater cleanups. And we do have some folks who do underwater cleanups as part of our Adopt-A-Beach program. Um, so you can visit our website, greatlakes.org slash Adopt-A-Beach to learn more about those. Um, Joel, I'm going to go to you next, I think. Um, there are a number of questions, I won't read them all, um, inquiring about line five um, and why that isn't, uh, you know, where that where that stands in our legislative agenda. Um, and so maybe you could uh, start off first by explaining what line five is for those who might not be super familiar with that issue, why it's a threat for the lakes um, and uh, what the Alliance's perspective is. 
Yeah, sure, Jen. Um, I will do that. For, before I do that, I just, I'm thinking as I'm about to talk about this and listening to Crystal's response, we might want to do another one of these for the state state policy agenda because there's so much important action that happens at the state level here in the Great Lakes. We've already touched on you know invasive species, water infrastructure, ag. It, a lot of those choices are happening in state capitals too, and so that's that's a whole nother conversation. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, Line 5 is a pipeline, a very old 70-year-old pipeline running across the Straits of Mackinac, which is the uh, lake bottom of Lake Huron in, in nor just north of the lower peninsula of Michigan. Um, and the, the, the short version is Line 5 is, a, is an outmoded, outdated pipeline that needs to be decommissioned. And so this uh, is a is a big fight. I always want to put in a plug for a couple of the alliances allies uh, who are doing leadership work on this: the National Wildlife Federation and the Oil and Water Don't Mix Coalition. A lot of the action um, to to uh, decommit to get Line Five out of there is happening at the state level and in the courts. Um, and something in, in the decommissioning and getting rid of Line Five is something that we that, that we support. Um, I've heard clear, you know, definitely that um, folks uh, want to hear more from us on this issue, and I'll make sure that that happens in 2023. Um, the the reason, one of the reasons that this is, is really uh, not it has not been a huge part of our federal agenda is because a lot of that action is happening at the state level. However, there is one uh, thing that one action item that I think is important to lift up uh, at the federal level on this, and that is the fact that um, there is actually this is a this is a binational uh, pipeline. It actually runs uh, uh, across um, uh, the, the the U.S. and Canada, or it's 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 actually eventually gets to Canada from from Michigan. There is a something called a presidential permit, which actually enables the operation of this pipeline across the international border. And there's an effort again back to that oil and water don't mix coalition in Michigan, which have, which that's their website. You can actually take action to um, to uh, communicate to President Biden to withdraw the presidential permit uh, for that pipeline. Um, this is obviously you know part of a major uh, international negotiation that's going on right now, uh, and I do encourage people to get active on that. And like I said. Said, you'll hear you'll hear more from us uh, on that issue uh, in 2023 and make sure that we're bringing you the information you need. Thanks, Joel. Um, Don, I'll go to you next. Uh, we have a couple of questions about plastic pollution, uh, and you talked a little bit about that and what's happening um, at the federal level. Um, and so we have a, a good question here asking about, um, so since microplastics have been found in significant concentrations in the Great Lakes, um, in Great Lakes fish, drinking water, and our own bodies, what is being done to protect our beautiful lakes and our sources of food and drinking water um, to, against this issue of microplastics? And so maybe you could talk a little more about the kind of federal legislation that we're looking for um, from Congress. Sure, thanks, Jen. Well, just I'll remark that a few years ago, uh, Congress did ban um, microplastics and personal care products. Largely, the Alliance and other groups teamed up to point out the health effects of that, and that was something that Congress took action on rather quickly. Um, the same sort of effort would be needed to deal with some of these microplastics in waters, whether it's the Great Lakes or elsewhere in the United States. And at this point, I would say that federal legislation um, on that is, is it may, you know, there, there are likely to be bills that are again introduced in this Congress, 
but it's going to be unclear. It's, it's a little unclear to me whether or not anything will pass because we now have the House of Representatives under Republican control and the Senate uh, under Democratic control. And so sweeping legislation like this may be difficult. Um, but there are going to be federal legislative bills introduced sometime this year. We, uh, Senator Durbin from Illinois had a, had a bill in terms of banning uh, plastic pellets, which are these nurdles, which are at the very big, um, which are used in the production of plastics. Um, and he's likely to reintroduce that bill this year. And if it's, if it's introduced and passed, it would ban sort of um, uh, the introduction of nurdles into sort of our waterways. It would require EPA to take action to make sure that wastewater treatment systems and other places that, that have nurdles prevent them from passing through into water bodies. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to be difficult. And I think that the issue on plastics pollution reduction is gonna revolve around, you know, what can Congress do incrementally over time to deal with plastics? We at the Alliance would like to see producers responsible for plastic waste uh, cleanup. Um, because that's largely where plastics production is coming from, but it's going to be a long haul and it'll happen through information and education and research. Thanks, Don. Um, Crystal, I'm gonna bump over to you to talk a little bit more about agriculture, um, harmful algal blooms in H2Ohio. This could be a whole conversation into itself, um, but I see a couple of questions uh, asking about uh, if our priorities are going to address HABs or harmful algal blooms. So maybe you could start off by explaining the connection between what we're trying to do with agriculture policy and how that will help um, address this issue of the harmful algal blooms. We'll start there. Sure, thank you. Uh, I think the connection between our state advocacy as it relates to HABs and our uh, federal priority is all in accountability. We wanna make sure that taxpayers are seeing a return on their investment as it relates to uh, monies being spent on agricultural um, efforts that should be reducing um, the pollution in our waterways. And so we want to make sure that they're actually being effective and being held accountable and not being uh, continued to be funded if they're not going to be effective. Um, we know that reaching our 2025 phosphorus reduction goal of a 40% reduction is totally possible, but it's going to require stringent actions beyond what has already been taken. And that's, again, what you will find in our report that was released this week. Um, I know there were some questions about H2 Ohio and where we are with that. Again, another amazing program that we applaud Governor DeWine for, um, but we know that additional investment is gonna be needed. Um, right now we're in our state biennial budget cycles. And so the governor has introduced the state budget and we are looking at $153.4 million for H2 Ohio in each year of the next two year, the next two fiscal years, um, which represents a 39% increase for the Ohio Department of Agriculture, um, a 200% for uh, increase for Ohio EPA, which is definitely needed um, because there, it was uh, slightly underfunded um, during the last budget cycle. And then um, ODNR, our Department of Natural Resources, um, is going to see a $10 million increase with the governor's proposed budget. Um, I say that because it's, I say proposed budget because we know we still have to go through the entire budget process. So in terms of next steps for our uh, report, 
We plan to work with our stakeholders and advocates and allies to meet with legislators and agency officials to educate them on what it's really gonna take to move the needle forward. And then we um, are also working with partners to explore long-term funding cycles and, and what could uh, really happen if we put our heads together, together to think about um, creatively about where we need to go with funding for, for these issues. Thanks, Crystal. Um, let's see, Joel. I'm going to go back to you. Uh, we have a couple questions in the, and I see at least one in the chat. And we also received a few um, uh, from folks who submitted in advance about um, uh, water levels, but also drought out west. You know, we've seen in the news so much the significant drought impacting um, communities in the western U.S. Um, and, you know, there are perpetual concerns that someone might try and tap in over here into the Great Lakes. And so, um, yeah, what can be done about that? And what's your perspective on that issue? Uh, sure. Well, I'm, I always love talking about this, but I just want to pick up on, you know, Crystal talking about agriculture. And I just, I, I, I could listen to those policy details all day, but I, I wanted the take home here is I just want to impress upon people that how critical that agriculture issue is to the Great Lakes. Um, it's a it's a huge source of pollution and, and really cuts across the whole region. And this and the reason I'm saying that now is because on this topic, uh, you know, water use is another way that we see uh, agriculture playing a big role here in the Great Lakes. And when we talk about drought, um, you know, sometimes people might think about uh, out west, they might think about the fact that you may be turning a tap and the water in your home doesn't come on. What we're really talking about is massive water use by agriculture and, and how that's how, what the potential impacts of climate change are going to be on those uses. Here in the Great Lakes, it's no secret, we've got a massive water supply. Uh, often, unfortunately, lots of people and communities don't think about uh, how much, just how much water we have and sometimes take it for granted. I know that nobody on this webinar does that. Um, our water supply, the quantity of water is pretty well protected here because we have something called the Great Lakes Compact, which is a, a legal agreement, a, literally a law uh, between the Great Lakes states and Congress that says that water cannot be diverted outside of the Great Lakes watershed, except in very rare exceptions. And the water, any water that's used in one of those exceptions actually has to be returned to the Great Lakes after it's used. So there is, there is very little potential for losing any water. And the idea of water being exported across the country um, is something that I'll just say will not happen on our watch uh, and is legally and politically almost impossible to do. So that, that's great. However, um, we have our own challenges. Uh, there are lots of communities in the Great Lakes region or just outside the Great Lakes region that might qualify for to apply for water for using Great Lakes water in the future. And there was a good article about this just recently in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, if you're interested in, in reading more about it, that summarized this topic really well. So the take home message, I, I would say, is um, let's be very aware of how, how good we have it here in the Great Lakes, work to use our water sustainably and, and attract businesses and, and people here to use that water sustainably uh, and, and, and keep, keep us all healthy um, and make sure that we're doing our best to protect it from any outside threats uh, by, by standing up for the Great Lakes Compact. And that's something that we are fully committed to. Thanks, Joel. Um, 
I'm going to go back to the plastic pollution issue I see in the chat and also in the questions that were submitted online, um, some specific questions about particular plastic pollutants, right? There's so much stuff that's made out of plastic and inevitably uh, we find some of that in the Great Lakes. Um, you know, our, our Adopt-A-Beach volunteers are out there um, collecting data on all these issues. And um, you know, I just want to dig in a little more on this whole idea of um, extended producer responsibility, right? And that kind of approach we're trying to take at the federal level, which would get us out of that sort of whack-a-mole of like dealing with each individual um, type of plastic. And so, uh, you know, Joel or Don, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about that concept um, and what we'd like to see uh, legislatively on that. Yeah, let's, you know, first, I think it's good to just mention the scale of the issue. You know, the Rochester Institute of Technology study that came out a few years ago estimates that about 22 million, do I have that right, Jen? 22 million tons of plastic going into the Great Lakes every year. Pounds. Pounds, excuse me, 22 million yeah. pounds going into the Great Lakes every year. It's a systemic problem across the region. We have thousands of volunteers out on the shoreline picking up, you know, plastic off the beach, out of the water, who see it, right? And, and that's a small fraction of what's actually out there. And so this stuff is coming into the Great Lakes from everywhere throughout the watershed, which is why we're looking at systemic solutions like extended producer responsibility. And so what that means is really in simple terms is reduce the amount of plastic at the source, reduce the amount that's being produced and used rather than uh, focusing only on cleaning up cleaning up the material after it's been produced and focusing only on recycling. That source reduction and that producer's commitment to actually reducing the amount that's being produced and taking responsibility for that waste is really, really critical. And uh, there are lots of different ways that plastic shows up in the environment, right? And, and some of them, uh, they're, they can be uniquely local, um, but to really get after it, you've got to look at that extended producer responsibility approach and you know, along the way, there are ways to address uh, some of the bigger sources. Like, for example, we know that styrofoam is almost impossible to recycle, and that's something that uh, some government, some countries have actually gone ahead and banned because there's really no way that you can keep that material from becoming a waste product out of the environment, right? So there are steps like that big categories of single-use plastics that you can kind of get out of the system. But in the long run, um, having rules and funding and and, uh, and innovative approaches that place that responsibility for keeping that plastic out of our water uh, does land on the producer. Thanks, Joel. Um, so we're coming up on the, the end of our time together. Um, and I always like to, there's so many big issues that, uh, frankly, sometimes I find these conversations a little overwhelming, like, how are we going to get all this done? Um, and so I'd, I'd like to end on a sort of a positive question um, and note. Um, I see there's a somebody, Michelle Davis, who says she's a, a Michelle says they're a professor of earth science at Cuyahoga Community College. And um, Michelle is remarking that their students are engaged, want to speak out, want to get involved, um, and asking if we have any resources for how the students can get involved in action and conversations. And so I'll ask each one of you if you have a, a recommendation for um, the, these students um, or others out there who want to get involved, where should they start? Where can they go? Um, Crystal, maybe I'll start with you. 
Sure. Um, especially since they're located in Cleveland, I'll put a plug for our own coalition that we were working with here, the Cleveland Environmental Advocacy uh, Partners. And so a number, over a dozen partners throughout the Cleveland area that are working on environmental issues have come together to create a policy platform on uh, local issues, uh, local environmental issues for the city level and the county level. So if you reach out to us at greatlakes.org, we would be happy to put you in contact with that coalition so that you can be a part of the conversations and learn more about the, the efforts that are underway in your own backyard. Thanks, Crystal. Don, any suggestions for, for this professor and her students? You know, that's a great question. Um, I've taught classes of law students, so I'm familiar with the idea of getting younger people involved. And so I think um, a couple things, um, just wherever the young person is located, there are community-based groups that work on environmental issues. And I think getting involved through internships or jobs is a great way to do that. Um, also at the national level, we have the Student Conservation Association, which is a great organization that helps direct young folks towards jobs and conservation. But I think the great thing about students is they usually have initiative to research and write and get involved in something. So if they're, if they're personally interested in something, I always encourage people to do their research and get involved in a topic and find out who's doing it and just throw themselves in. Most people really appreciate the initiative and the eagerness of somebody who's studying something and uh, they will find resources in their communities. So I think that's what I would say. Thanks, Don. Joel? Okay, I'll leave it to me to put in a plug for one of the Alliance's own programs. So we've got a program called the Ambassadors, and um, the idea that we, we, with that program, what we do is we work to train uh, individuals who want to learn more about the Great Lakes issues in more depth, perhaps, than what we can get into on, on a webinar like this today. And importantly, uh, help give, give us the opportunity to help them find ways to use their voice to be advocates. So whether that's you know speaking in a public forum in their community or uh, reaching out to their members of Congress or you know a lot lots of different ways that people can actually build that confidence and the knowledge to be able to use their own voice and the voice of their networks in order to spread the word about the Great Lakes, we do that. And so I encourage people to check out our ambassadors program and see if it's a good fit for you. Um, attend one of our trainings and, um, and help us get the word out across the Great Lakes. Well, thank you everyone for that. Thank you everyone for uh, joining and listening and for all of these great questions. We got to as many as we could. Um, as always, greatlakes.org is a great resource. We have tons of information about most of these issues on there. Um, so poke around on there uh, and let us know if you have any questions. And I'll also put in a plug for our podcast, uh, Lakes Chat, which comes out every other week um, and is available on most of the big podcast platforms. So I encourage you to listen in tune in um, for more about all of these issues over the coming weeks and months. So Joel, Crystal, and Don, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. And I hope everybody has a great day. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. On our website, greatlakes.org slash lakeschat, you'll find links to more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as opportunities to sign up for updates, to stay informed about Great Lakes issues, and how to get involved. Be sure to subscribe so you'll know when the next episode is released. A special thank you to my colleague, Michelle Farley, who produces this podcast.